In 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 7, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, is the, lo- in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. One of my favorite verses right here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother... He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You know, I would love to spend the rest of our time together this morning just going over these verses, but they are really the springboard into many other places I want to take us this morning. Ultimately, and I'm, I, I, I promise you, I'm going to make a confession. Why don't we start out with a confession? How about my confession? I came to love late in life. I would love to tell you that as a 24-year-old, when I accepted Jesus Christ, that immediately the blossoms of love sprang up in my heart. That would be a lie. Uh, there was gratitude. There was a thirst for holiness. There was intensity. Truth kind of pulsed through my veins. But love was kind of for the mushy people. You know, those were the sentimental people. Those are the people that were reading all the Psalms all day long. They just want to be in the Psalms. I like the Psalms, but I like the imprecatory Psalms where the psalmist would call down judgment on people. That was the vibe I was in. So y'all are going to have to relax a little bit. This is two weeks in a row where people are like this. Just exhale. It's my sin I'm confessing. Y'all ought to be relaxed here. The the point being is this, is that it really wasn't until I met Amy and until we were wed, until I had a couple of years under my belt married to this woman who I have called historically, not just for this message, but for the whole time we've been married, she's a love gusher. She just gushes love. If you ever get to know her and you can spend time with her, Amy just gushes love. Her family was a love-gushing family. My family, we loved each other, but we weren't really um, uh, manifesting it a whole lot. 
It was more in, in what we said and what we did for each other more than, than our communication and our, our intimacy together. And so I learned God's love from my wife. And then when my wife brought me my first child, my daughter, into the world, and I held Alicia for the first time down the street at Gwinnett Medical, something happened in my heart where for the first time in my life, as much love as I had in me just drained out of me into her, and I didn't even have to try. Happened again when my son, who's up here on the first row, now 12 years old, when he was born, and I got to love a son. And, and so love, friends, is something that I've grown in. But let me tell you something. It's easy to love your wife when she loves you back. It's easy to love your children when there's just something that sparks in your heart. But Jesus had the sovereign audacity to say, yeah, love all of them, but I want you to love your enemy too. So when we're confronted with that, we kind of take off our I'm in the love club button and we put it down and we say, let me learn some things. So we're growing in this and we're progressing in this. And I'm well aware that some of you may be on the spectrum of a love gusher and some of you may be like I was at age 24 and 25 and 26, saved but not really fluent in love language. Whether you're here or you're here, what I'm saying is the Lord is working along the spectrum and it is incumbent upon us as we move into an unprecedented relationship with the IHOP Atlanta community as we begin to share life, as we begin to share space, as we begin to share kingdom endeavors one with another, that we are motivated, no matter what anybody else is motivated by, that we are motivated by the call on our lives to love people as God loves us. It's easy to amen, but it's hard to live. And so let's look at some of these passages that I think can help us today. Let me just give you uh, some basic thoughts to begin with. I believe as we look through scripture that we'll find that love is the predominant attribute of the Christian. Love is the predominant attribute of the Christian. And let me give you a few verses right here in the same little letter of 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23, we see that love is inseparable from faith. We're told there that this is his commandment. This is the Lord's commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he has commanded us. And so you've got these commandments that God the Father sends across the span of the ages, and we see them in a one-two punch. The first is, we honor God by believing on his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to this world to be the sacrificial lamb for the sins of mankind. And we are commanded, don't miss that, as we're being friendly in our, our seeker-sensitive culture and our politically correct environments, I want to just make it clear, because Christians may be forgetting this, that the call to believe on Jesus Christ is an actual command from God the Father that spans every person and every place and every age. We are commanded to believe on Jesus Christ. Next to that is a secondary command. We are commanded to love one another just as he has commanded us. So very quickly, and I think we all know this, I don't have to belabor this, this is kind of the judicial aspect of love. The sovereign authority over the cosmos says, you will love each other. He does not say you will love each other if you are a love gusher. <laughs> or you will love each other if you're an extrovert who just appreciates the company of other people. He does not define this in any kind of equivocation. He just simply says, all of my children, 
Your high call relationally is to love one another. In a moment, I'm going to help us with this because in this room right now and those watching and those that will watch or listen later, there are probably thousands of different ideas about what love actually is. In our culture, this is what we're told love is. And if you've hung around Newbridge, you've heard me say this before. Our culture says, you love me when you make me feel good about me. That's what the culture says. If you're not making me feel good about me, you are being unloving towards me. But if you're always making me feel good about me, then I can say, man, she loves me or he loves me. Um, That's actually a, a, a misrepresentation of biblical love. Biblical love... Agape is the word that we find in the New Testament, the Greek word, more often than not translated love. It is, in my definition, it is my commitment to seek the highest good of the other person no matter what it costs me. Agape love is the love that only comes from God. It is not an emotional love. It is not a sentimental love. It is not even a... um, Uh, An easy love, if I can say it that way. It is a volitional love. It means it sources itself in my will, not my emotions. So it means when God commands me to love somebody who I don't feel loving towards, I can't say, sorry, my emotions with this person are out of line. No, I have to say, if, if the Holy Spirit lives within me and I am called to love this person, then I will exercise my spirit-harnessed will and I will seek the highest good of that other person. Now, it may come with flowers and candy or it may not, but the reality is, is that Jesus Christ lives within me And Jesus Christ is the one who will love through me. We look at love in John, his gospel. John was the apostle of love, and we see it as a revelation of identity. A lot of these are overlapping thoughts, but I'm turning on the fire hydrant on purpose this morning. I want you to drink a bunch. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, by loving one another as Jesus loves us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So we see that in the scripture as Jesus was teaching his disciples to love, he literally says your identity that you have drawn from me, all of us here that are Christians, we draw our identity based or sourced in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, there's a lot of things you do, but what you do is not who you are. Um, My identity is not a pastor. That is my calling, but that's not my identity. My identity is not a husband. That is my privilege, but that is not my identity. My identity is not a father. That's my role, but that is not my identity. What is my identity? I am a twice-born son of God. That is my identity. Ladies, you that have accepted Christ, you are a twice-born daughter of God. And so our identity is always connected to who we are in Christ. And Jesus said this, the revelation of that, the knowledge of that that will come to other people can only come to them in clarity if I am loving other people like Jesus loves me. It's interesting to me. Jesus didn't say how much you give qualifies your identity or qualifies the revelation of your identity. Jesus didn't say how much you serve, for you serve a out there. Jesus didn't say the more you serve, the more you're like Jesus. 
He didn't say how much you witness or how much you pray or how much you evangelize the more you are like Jesus. Jesus actually said, when the world is looking at you to know what you are, you, they will find out that you're a Christian if you consistently live in a love towards one another just as I've loved you. So this is where we start getting convicted, or at least I hope. I, I just think we all have room to grow on this. Now listen, conviction and condemnation are different. Don't leave here condemned today. Don't leave here saying God hates me because I'm not a love gusher. There's probably only like 10 of you in here that I would probably know that are love gushers, and the rest of us are major works in progress. So don't leave here dragging your feet or feeling upset about it, but do leave here saying, oh, I need to grow. I need to release more. I need to yield more. I need to understand just how much he loves me because that's the catalytic event that helps you love others. It is your awareness of how much you're loved that empowers you to go on loving others. John 15. We'll see love as a perpetually controlling principle. Jesus said, this is my commandment. So he's saying it again. He just said it in John 13. He's saying it again because disciples are leaky buckets and what he pours in falls out. And so here he is then. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Um, I, I don't want to bore you. If I haven't already, I don't want to bore you right now. Um, there's a verb tense there in the Greek. It's a present active verb tense, and this is what it means when he's saying twice there, love, love one another, love one another. It indicates an action that is currently present, but it has no definitive end. In, in essence, this is what we learn. Jesus is saying, love each other as you are and never stop. It gives me the idea of a point of beginning, a point of origination, origination, and a line that shoots out from it, but the line never terminates. It just goes on and on and on. And Jesus says, that's right. That's how I want you Christians to love one another. Now, that doesn't mean we're not obligated to love our neighbor because he's already said that too. And so we're seeing right away, I don't know if this, this happens to you. This is what happens to me. When I start immersing myself in, in verses like this, I have to say, wow, I am so much more of a conditional lover than I ever thought. Now, I know none of you struggle with that based on the lack of, hmm, that just happened. There's like nine of us in here. But listen, just in case for the people on the podcast, they may need to hear this today. For them out there, we're conditional lovers. We, we, we love to love those that we know. It's like ping pong love. We hit it to them, they hit it back. Hit it to them, they hit it. And so we love that. But what if you hit it and they grab it? And they put it in your pocket and they say, hit me another one. You serve up a little love, boom, they grab it, they stuff it, boom, grab it and stuff it. Finally, with our love, we get to the point saying, every time I send something your way, you're not giving me anything back. And over here, the Holy Spirit's saying, just keep serving it up. Just keep serving it up. We're saying, Lord, they're taking everything I give them and they're holding it, ain't nothing coming my way. And all of a sudden we realize, oh, Jesus just keeps serving it up to me. Jesus just keeps hitting it my way. Because chances are, every time Jesus puts some love on you, there may have been a time or two where you caught the ball and put it in your pocket and didn't give it back. And yet he just keeps going after us. That's why the conditional clause is this. It's so important. Jesus doesn't just say love. 
Because then we all get to develop our own idea about what is sufficient love, what is enough love, how long do I have to love. Jesus says, hey, when you love each other, love one another like I love you. And we're like, why'd you have to say it that way? I can manage the first part of that. It's that conditional clause. But listen, there's something that he's saying. There's something that lives within that commitment of loving one another. There's something alive in it that we can't have access to if we don't go there. And part of it, not a small part of it, is that the onlooking, unbelieving, non-believing world, they, they know our buildings. They know that we come here on Sunday mornings. They know we've got some dose of religion on some level. But they don't really know how good and glorious Jesus is until and unless we are flowing in love with one another. And so literally the God of this age who has blinded the minds of those that don't believe, they can't see Jesus unless we present to them the lens of love, which makes Jesus appear um, much bigger to them than they would see him apart from us loving one another. So this is the predominant attribute of the Christian. And I, I just, I give you this, and part of this is confession because I'm not the best example of this. I mean, I know that. I'm not, I'm not like beating myself up about it. It just motivates me to grow. But I think if we're honest, all of us can grow. And a matter of fact, before this message is over, I'm going to show you that Paul actually inserts something into one of his letters that shows us what we can do to grow along the spectrum of loving one another. So stay awake. Point number two. Love, let's look at love as the byproduct of abiding in Jesus because some of this is his work in you and some of this is his work through your cooperation with him. So let's take a look at a couple of things. 1 Thessalonians 4.9, and we'll use this phrase, that love is naturally supernatural. What does that mean? Look at what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. Now concerning brotherly love, Philadelphia is that word. The city of brother love, the Greek word is the Philadelphia word. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. I, I think this is fascinating. Paul is telling them to show brotherly affection and kindness to one another. And he says that shouldn't be any issue for you because you have the internal teacher living within you. And he has taught you, and he uses a different word, that agape word, for the second love there. He says you can handle the loving with brotherly love because you have the agape lover living inside of you. So this helps me. Because depending on how you were raised, depending on what framed you up, man, we live in a generation where bruised and broken and scarred people, I mean, most people are on some level. And some of those bruises ran so deeply that people are afraid to love because those bruises were inflicted upon them relationally by people that they wanted to love but didn't love them back. And those bruises, when they go long enough and deep enough, can open up and they become scars. And if you've ever had a scar on your body, you, you get desensitized in that area. When I was a little boy, I was a little, little heathen. And I had a Crossman 766 um, pellet gun. It was an air gun. And I had the bright idea, because I'd been shooting pellets at things, and I was bored, and I was about 10 years old. And I thought, when one night I saw these lightning bugs that were flying around my backyard. 
So I just pumped that sucker up with air, and I started catching lightning bugs and putting them down the barrel of the gun and pulled the air trigger, and it was, boom, this big balloon and cloud of light, you know? Yeah, I was a serial killer in the making. God saved me, okay? I am saved. Quit judging me. So the first one was cool. So I went and got my sister. So I said, Stephanie, you got to see this. I have got a talent that nobody else on earth has. And so I went to pump it up, and I caught the top of my thumb in the pumping mechanism. We call that chastisement now. I caught my thumb, and it, snapped, it cut off the top of my thumb. Now, over time, it built back up, but to this day, I can't feel anything in that part of my thumb. What happened? Scar ran so deep, it desensitized it. People like that have those kind of scars on their souls, on their spirit, on their emotions, on their minds. And they don't feel anything. And so when we're preaching on love, there are people right now that are saying, I hate these messages. Preach on truth, preach on faithfulness, preach on servanthood, preach on sacrifice, but don't preach this because I don't feel it like I'm supposed to feel it. I get you. I understand it completely. But I'm going to give you some hope because I can promise you this. If you want to grow in this area instead of continuing to avoid this area, the agape lover lives within you. And all he is waiting is for you to say, Lord, I wave my little white flag of surrender. In my flesh dwells nothing good. I can't be the lover that you want me to be in my flesh, but I can in a moment of consecrated commitment and desire. I petition you, love others through me. Begin to love others through me. And I can promise you this. If you'll go after that and stay going after that, you will grow in this aspect of love. You might be a million miles behind everybody else, but that's no excuse to stay where you are. And Jesus is worthy of us learning to love people like he loves people. Paul said this, that you're taught by God to do it. It's a, it's a spiritual kingdom instinct. It's just in there, but we just don't know how. It's like, you know, giving a five-year-old a bike and just saying, well, you've got the bike, you've got the ability to ride it, your legs move, your hands move, your eyes see, but he has to be taught or she has to be taught. And so it, it takes somebody that knows how to ride the bike to come alongside that little four or five-year-old and to lead them in that. It's the same way for a lot of us with love. We've got the capacity to love, we've got the spiritual equipment to love, but we don't have the experience to know how to love. And Jesus says, I know how to do it. And if you'll yield to me, I will make you a kingdom lover. Second thing, and we're talking about the love as the byproduct of abiding in Jesus. And let me just give you this very briefly from 1 Peter. Love is possible for all believers. Peter said this, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, here's the command, now you love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. Peter says this, the only qualification you need to love like Jesus loves is to have Jesus living inside of you. He uses different phrases to kind of communicate what it means to be born again, to be saved, to be justified, whatever word you want to use. But he's talking about this imperishable seed, this heavenly seed, this eternal seed that's in you. Um, he, he, he mentions there at the beginning of the verse that y your soul is purified because you obeyed the truth. 
you're going to find in the New Testament, believing the truth and obeying the truth are used interchangeably. So it's, it's, you can't believe, have genuine belief without genuine obedience. And if you're genuinely obeying, it's going to be sourced in your genuine belief. But the long story there, or the short story of that long explanation is that when you received Christ, you become a new creation. And so you have all sorts of new abilities that you never would have had as an unbeliever. Literally, it is a spiritual, you may not like this word, but it is a mystical dynamic. It is not worldly. It is not of the carnal. It is not of the terrestrial. But literally, the God of heaven and the person of the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the tabernacle of your being. And he is going to live his life out through you. And Peter talks about that in the way of saying this, you've got everything that you need. You are qualified to be a lover. So the only way we get to excuse ourselves from entering into this is, is if we think our personality is more dominant than Jesus in us or our temperament. Well, I'm just, I've heard people say that. I, I'm just not that way. And I'm just saying, well, isn't the point of salvation becoming who you aren't? I mean, I couldn't imagine getting away with that excuse in other areas of our life. Hey, as a Christian, you need to be faithful to your spouse. Well, I'm just not that way. We would give nobody a free pass on that. When it comes to this issue of love, we're like, oh, okay. Well, we get it. That's all right. So stay away from that guy. That guy is not going to love. So we just kind of cordon people off. No, friends. Jesus more specifically, the Holy Spirit is working in you to transform you into the image of God the Son. We're becoming more like Jesus. So third point in this, and then I'm going to move to my last major point. Uh, love is the evidence of our redemption. It'll get a little tight here for a second, okay? 1 John three fourteen. John says, we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. And then he gives us unapologetic kind of declarative statement, whoever does not love abides in death. There are three tests that are given in the book of 1 John to help us validate where we stand with the Lord. Dustin mentioned something a little bit earlier when Pastor Dustin said that form of godliness which denies the power, that's epidemic in Christendom. It is enough religion to soothe your conscience but, but not an experience, a personal experience with God that redeems your soul. It's an outward form of godliness. I was that guy. I grew up in church. I did the whole Bible Belt church kid experience, but I, I prayed the prayer. I got baptized. I did all of that stuff, but I was not redeemed. Why? Well, I had a form of godliness, but the power had never hit my life. First John gives you three tests. There's the truth test. There's the obedience test. The truth test is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? He says more than that, but that's the synopsis of it. Then it's the obedience test. Do you live in obedience unto the one that you say is your Lord? Jesus put it in a different way. He once asked his disciples, he said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? So Jesus didn't allow for that disconnect in our lives, that literally if you're born again, you're not going to be perfect all the time, but you're going to be moving generally in obedience. But the third test is the love test, and that's what John mentions here. So if, if you profess, Jesus Christ is Lord, Christos Kurios, Christ is Lord, and then your life is defined by um, uh, uh, obedience unto the Lord, but you're not a rebel. You're not antinomian. You don't just say, I don't care what all that says. I'm, he, I got God's arm behind his back because he said if I prayed this prayer, I'd go to heaven when I died and I can live like I want. Well, A, God never said that. 
some religious misfit misinformed you with that bad doctrine. The third test, though, if you're living in obedience and your theology is rooted in the lordship of Jesus Christ, that third test is, okay, do you have a heart to love people? My point being this, it's, it's not these fluffy necessarily ideas about love. Love is what? Engaging my will to consistently seek the highest good of the other person. A lot of times that's attached to some great feelings and some awesome emotions. Like I told you earlier, I had to learn love from Amy. I don't love Amy today because I wake up every morning and I read 1 John God says, i got to love Amy today. If I don't, I'm probably not saved. I don't even think about it. I just look at her and I just like, ah, oh, it's my girl. I love my lady. I love my wife. I want to be with her. I don't, I don't want to hang out with other people all the time. I want to be with my woman. And so it's, just, it's nothing I, I, I kind of drum up. What happened? Well, you, you commit to love. That's why we make vows when we get married. We commit to God. Okay, I'm going to love this person. We say better or worse and we say all that stuff. I'm glad we do that. Because most of us, we didn't have that vow, most of us would bail earlier, earlier than we did bail. Because those vows just kind of hold us in there. But I don't stay with my woman because I made a vow to her. I stay with her because that vow was the seed that was planted, which blossomed into an orchard of fruitful love for her. And that's the way it can work in all of our relationships. But friends, if there is no love, it's a hard word, man. If your default disposition is bitterness and selfishness, I, I believe that the opposite of love is not hate. I think it's selfishness. Selfishness is the opposite of love. And if that's where you traffic all the time, listen, I, I, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I would say if, that, if you know that that's the way you are all the time, then one of two things is real. One, you've never met the master in a saving encounter. Or number two, he's using this message to say to you, come and die. Come and take up your cross because it's time to die. We're going to crucify the old man. It is crucified, but you need to step into that reality. So my last point. Y'all still with me? So love is static. Excuse me. Love is not static. Love is kinetic. That's not a word we use often. Kinetic is just a, a word that describes something that depends on motion in order for it to be effective. So love depends on action in order for it to be legitimized. Love that is just static and it just sits there and it never does anything, that's a theory. That's not substantial. That has no power on it. It's, it's not love if it never moves. Love does. What does the scripture say about this? First of all, love is a debt we owe to everybody. Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, Owe no man anything. Owe no one anything. He's been talking about paying your taxes and giving people what they're due and tribute and honor and all of that stuff. He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So here's, here's reality. I'm going to say it about myself because I don't really have a right to say it about you. But I owe Taylor a lifelong debt of love. Um, I owe Michelle Pennington a lifelong debt of love. Dottie Mullinax, a lifelong debt of love. Jeremy White, a lifelong debt of love. Those in my family that maybe I'm not getting along too well with. 
it's not my wife and my kids, but extended family, I owe them a debt of love. It, it's literally not up for vote. The only debt that we are to owe and recognize that we're indebted to somebody is to look at every single human being and to say, for the glory of Jesus Christ, I owe that person a debt of love. Do you know why racism at its core is anti-gospel? It's because racism diminishes the value of the other person. Diminishes the value of it. As we gathered last Friday night for the one race meeting up at Sugar Hill United Methodist Church, um, it was one of the smaller crowds. We have a couple hundred people there, I think. But the Lord moved in such a profound way as primarily uh, Caucasian and African-American people were connecting um, with each other on a platform of humility and brokenness and repentance. And one of the things that I believe has to occur in the church, I'm talking to Christians, because we, cr- we cry out for a revival as if we had five mouths at once. I mean, we are, revival, revival, revival. And I do that too. And sometimes I hear the Lord whisper back, repentance, repentance, repentance. One of the things that we need to repent of is not paying our debt, not loving each other. You don't have to look like me for me to love you. You don't have to like my music. You don't, I don't have to like yours. You don't have to have the same color of skin, or you don't have to be a man, or you don't, you don't have to vote this way, or and I don't have to vote. Come on, listen, what, how did we get our PhDs in building walls between one another? I can look at people, and this is, this, is, this is the grace of God. And, and I, I want to give him the glory for this. I don't want to glorify my past, but I can tell you, I hated everybody. I did. I hated me more than anybody. I, I was a self-loathing whatever yak, you know, whatever, I don't know what the word is, megalomaniac or whatever. It, it was just, I hated everybody. I hated God. I hated my parents. I hated the people around me, but most of all, I just hated me. And so when I got saved, man, and the Holy Spirit just overthrew, got knocked me off the throne. I was glad to get off of it, but and he just sat down and situated himself. That's where I just know in those early days, he just said, I'm going to turn you into a lover. Some of you are brought up with overt racism, and it's just in your DNA. You need a blood transfusion. I don't care if your granddad was that way. Listen, I'm not just talking to white folks. White people do not have a corner on the market of racism and lovelessness. But when we look at people and we think, I don't need to bother with them. They're not like me. They don't think like me. They don't act like me. And, And Jesus is saying, no, you actually owe them a debt of love. And so what happens is it comes back to this lordship issue. It's like, oh, ooh, I don't get a vote in this, okay? Because he only tells me what to do. Uh, tells me right things to do. He tells me how to be because he's always right. So if he's telling me to be this way and to do this thing, he's right and I'm wrong. So I just need to align. What do I do? I don't wait for an emotion to motivate me. I wait for my, I, I don't wait at all. I exercise my will. I say, okay, I don't feel it right now. I, I'm, not, I'm not vibing with it right now, Lord. But I recognize that you said, and you're my authority, and you're my Lord, and you're my master. You said, I owe this person that I in the flesh don't like, but you told me that I am not only to like them, I'm to love them. And I'm to seek their highest good. 
John says that that's a debt that we owe. It's, not, it's like a holy debt that we're always paying, but we still always owe. And so we just love until the end. Love is more than verbal, it's visible. We're talking about it being kinetic, moving. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet he closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So one way to express love, this will help you. If you're not an overly emotional part, kind of gusher and you don't feel it, and I've already confessed that's the way I'm wired, but one of the ways, my love language, one of the predominant ways that I show that I love somebody is I, I like to either give them something or do something for them. And, and that's not cheap love. It's not, um, you know, illegitimate love. It's just an expression. So what John is saying here, John is saying, hey, if you really love somebody and they have a need that you can meet, you're going to meet that need. You're going to move in practical love. I love the fact that we have bridging the gap here in our foster care ministry and all throughout Gwinnett County we have children who are in homes now, foster homes, not with their birth parents or not in a situation that may have been harmful, it may have been distressful, they could have been abandoned and yet the, 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 the county, the government has taken kind of jurisdiction over so many of these children but right here in our church... We have a group of growing people, a growing group of people that say, as believers in Jesus Christ, and because we love people and because we specifically love children, and even more specifically, because we love children that haven't been shown love where they should have been shown love, we will be motivated by love, and we will say we will provide a home for them. We will provide a bed for them. We will provide clothes for them. We will provide protection for them. We will provide whatever it needs to be able to show the love of Jesus in a practical way. Other people who may not be able to receive children into their home still get in on the joy of this. What do they do? They say, well, we can't host a child in our home, but we can support those that do. And so they buy the things that are needed or give breaks to those families that need just a a couple of hours. and, And they come and they sit with the kids and play with the kids. Listen, love is not a Hallmark card. If it, if it only goes as deep as a Hallmark card, then we need to move further on that spectrum. We've got to say, okay, I, I, I've got to test my love with evidence. So whether it's little children or caring for the elderly or visiting the homebound or, or whatever you can do, you say, well, Jeff, what can we do to show love? Whatever you want. It, it's not a bear trap. It, it's just you move in the love of the lover that lives inside of you. Galatians 5.13, love exerts itself. You're called to freedom, brothers. I used this last week. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So when when the band is serving us, when the front door people are serving us, when the parking lot guys are out in the rain and putting out cones and directing us in traffic, let me tell you something. They may not just, you know, feel the glory cloud coming down. I am putting out the cones and I feel the love today. It may not be that kind of experience, but let me tell you something. What gets a person out in the rain to do that on Sunday if it isn't a commitment to the big picture, gospel kingdom picture that is founded and rooted and grounded in love? So we serve each other. When Pastor Dustin is saying, hey, we need four people or eight people, whatever it was, to serve once a month in the nursery, man, come on. No, seriously. Come on. You say, well, Jeff, I, I don't do diapers. Well, learn to. Or you can be the guy that stands there when the diaper is taken off. You're the guy who walks it in the garbage can. Boop. 
You know, whatever it takes. We've just gotten too skilled at, at excuses and not skilled enough at just, just abiding in simple love, just showing kindness. Loving well is hard work. It's hard work. I'm, I'm just going to end on this one. Worship team, please. No, I can't end on this one because the next point's better. All right, I'll be fast with this one, okay? <laughs> Loving well is hard work. Listen to this. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. That's Paul writing. I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What Paul is saying is saying, let your life back up what your lips say. Say, live in a manner that's worthy of who you say you belong to. And, and, and then he says, so that Jesus may establish, uh, no, excuse me. He says, with all humility, gentleness, patience, three things that your flesh has no ability to provide. There's no such thing as, as you being humble in the flesh. You can fake it, but you can't be truly humble or gentle or patient. And then he says this, bearing with one another in what? In love. Literally, we're called to put up with each other. We are. That's exactly what that means in the Greek language. Hey, you love each other? Yeah, I love them. I can't stand them, but I love them. Then the Lord says, put up with her in love. Just put up with her. Well, it doesn't feel, it feels faked. If I'm not feeling it, then, then the Lord just says, no, seek her highest good. Just seek her highest good. You don't got to wait for the butterflies to descend. You know, angels strumming a harp. There is no mood music all the time for love. You just do it. Listen, the reason why I can be so firm and just kind of exhortive with you is because I'm, I'm talking to saved people. That's, that's who this message is for. And, and so we just don't have any excuses let me give you this last thing. Sometimes you know when the clock is ticked and you're, you're just about out of ticks, and I know I'm about there. So now, worship team, ascend to your platform, please. Come. Here, here's something good. Love reassures us for the second coming. So let's get big picture on this. This is why I didn't want to skip this point. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13. Watch this. This is so good. I promised you I was going to tell you how you can grow in love. Watch this. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God our Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I love when, when the scriptures just bring me, they just kind of escort me into the big picture. So I don't feel trapped now by all this, love people, love people, love people, love people. That, that can be suffocating because I've already told you, man, I, my capacity for love when I started was like thimble. It was tiny. And I read verses like this, and I hear an invitation. Paul's saying, Paul's praying this for the church at Thessalonica. Father, make their love for each other increase, and Lord, Make their love for all people increase. He actually petitions the Father to start working in the hearts of those Christians so that their capacity to love would grow. And it even just doesn't just say grow, it says to abound. So in other words, it's not a cup that's half full. When Paul's prayer gets answered for Christians to grow in love, the, the, the cup is spilling out over the top. That's actually possible for you and for me. It's actually possible to love in such a way to seek the highest good of the other person, very quickly here, that doesn't mean they always get their way. 
Sometimes the highest good of the other person is a, a word of correction, a word of denial, a word of rebuke. But big picture wise, this is what Paul says, that when our hearts are enlarged and expanded and we are abounding in love one for another, we will find ourselves with no reluctance whatsoever when the thought of Jesus' return comes to mind. Why? Because that love, somehow in the mix of it, the love that we pour out on other people, the love that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, when we begin to release that, it, it, it literally gives us entrance into a dynamic in the kingdom that we know nothing about until we begin to love others like that. And in that, that new place, that place of being, having God love others through you, something happens, you find a, an assurance, a confidence a reassurance that I am who I'm supposed to be. There's something cleansing and galvanizing about God loving other people through you so that you can see that Paul said to the extent that you will be blameless in holiness before God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want, more important, it doesn't matter what I want. The Lord doesn't want any of us living in some slovenly fear of the return of the Son of God. I don't know how assured we have a right to be or even the possibility of being if we're living a life that isn't chasing after love. When you enter into that, and I, I'm feeling this so strongly right now, every now and then I just get a prophetic right in my spirit that some of you have all of your ducks lined up in a row in the kingdom, but you're not happy. And you live with a sense of dread and fear. You wonder, man, am I, is this enough? Am I good enough? Am I right enough? Am I committed enough? Am I disciplined enough? And when somebody says, Jesus is coming, your thought isn't, yeah, it's, ooh, um, uh, well, mm. you, For some of you, it's this simple. You haven't put yourself back out there in love again. You're living behind a wall that you built because of some pain in your past where somebody that was supposed to love you scarred you. And so whether it's psychological, spiritual, whatever it is, you said, yeah, I'm going to be guarded. I, I'm going to love the safe people, but I'm not going to love this type of person, this type, and so on and so on. And so what happens is you cut yourself off from the kinetic vibrancy of the active power of the kingdom, which is love. 